Okay, so today I have actually very excited for today because I have a man that um, that I follow and I kind of uh, really adore his work that he puts out and the place that he comes from with this. And I'm going to attempt to say his name. We've just been through the names thing beforehand. Is uh, Rainier? Yeah, Rainier Wild. Yes, Rainier sir. Wild. There we go. Um, so I'm going to just allow Renier to to introduce himself, and then and then we're kind of going to jump into what we're going to have a, an epic conversation um, that's going to be extremely helpful for men and for women out there. And um, I'll just hand it to you, buddy, for the for your intro. Hmm. I am a father of four children um, that I know of. I uh, am married twice over. Um, I've spent half of my life in one marriage or another. I have a string of failed friendships, relationships, lovers, battlefields of the heart behind me. I have uh, built businesses and burned them down. I have served in epic careers and walked away from them. I have earned enough initials after my name to populate a room uh, with their offspring. I have loved hard and lived large. And as William Blake said, I think the path of excess has led to the palace of wisdom. These days I spend my time as an author. Um, I actually just published my first book this fall called As You Are. Uh, shameless plug, you can find that on Amazon in the books section. Uh, I am a teacher in the sense that it seems like whenever I'm opening my mouth, I end up communicating something more than what I mean to. And, um, and I'm a mentor and a guide to individuals all throughout the world. And every day I write kind of a modern day column on Instagram where my thoughts about the world get deposited and people comment or join in. And we are, seem to be building a community together in some interesting way of people dedicated to being vulnerable, um, to practicing radical hospitality to their whole self so that all of them belongs. Um, I think that's about as good an introduction as I've ever done. My God, I, I normally drag that on for about 10 minutes. So here we are. This feels good. That is probably the best introduction I've ever had. I really enjoyed having started that with, um, like I'm a father of four and, you know, I've been divorced and a lover is like, that's a great it's like who you are, not what you do, you know? It's like, I like that. Um, that's a fantastic introduction. I'll have to take note of that when I do my intros. <laughs> um, the, the reason why is like I asked Renier to come on today is because is, as you can tell by his introduction, is um, he, I would say you're an extremely deep and thoughtful thinker and feeler and like a really, it really, I feel it really slows you down when you when you talk. It's a place that comes where you want to literally 
extract every word that you kind of say. And and I know you know I know you do a lot around um, around shadow and intimacy, if I'm correct. Yeah. And and this is something I, I really wanted to talk about today with a lot of men and like I've been there myself I'm sure you've been there yourself too and still go there is that I tend to work with is there's a piece that these guys have where it's like on paper life could be fantastic right it could be you could have all the money the 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 high performing job it's like in great shape the friend circles and seemingly from the outside world, everything could look fantastic. But when you start to poke around under the surface, it's like you start to discover things. And like one of the things that keeps popping up, probably the biggest piece that I find pops up is this desire, like a very deep kind of unspoken desire for wanting more intimacy and connection in relationships, but almost not really knowing that's what they wanted. Um, or what they came for but almost is like no fucking idea how to actually get that and I'd really enjoy I think I'd really like to kind of hear your kind of take on that of like kind of the maybe the path to 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 the deeper intimacy and connection and why there's so much resistance around that and and what you meet along the way on that kind of internal journey as a man I think it's important to maybe consider how we're formed as individuals, how we grow as individuals and develop, because there's something to that 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 um, I think helps us understand where we've gotten to. So if, if you can think about a human being born into the world, we're almost born as limitless potential. We really are. There's so much capacity in the human infant, all you have to do is look into their eyes and see it. You know, again, I've had the privilege of being present for four births and there's something really unmistakably magical about that experience. And just gazing in, you realize there's pure possibility on the other side here. And yet very, very quickly, that possibility is frustrated. (laughs) Yeah, they're born into a set of circumstances. They're certainly born with genetic coding attached to them. They're born into the conditions of their families, the the consequences of their parents' action, the conditioning that their parents and their caregivers and the world around them uh, provides for them. Then they grow up into further um circumstances with peers and and different groupings like that education the state religion all of these different things putting pressures upon them the possibilities of that pure and limitless potential are hemmed in at every side and frustrated and i think one of the ways i understand the development of a of a child, a human child, is that very quickly this pure possibility experiences the frustrations of the world, pushed down, covered up. One of the ways and the metaphors that I I often think about it with is like kind of a, a beautiful, pristine mountain lake just teeming with life. I live in the mountains and um, these lakes are just so beautiful. 
and so full of vibrancy. And the winter comes, the cold wind blows, and what develops over that, that lake is ice, an icy layer. Maybe you've never thought of it this way, but, but that ice is actually the lake's armoring. It's the lake's preventative measures that it develops to keep the life underneath intact, so to speak. Just like we also develop something like a, a, a top surface layer that helps protect us from the disappointments and the frustrations of being alive. We call that icy layer, that veneer, um, the persona. You know, persona literally means mask in Greek. And so we put on this mask, which is our personality. You know, and what is that personality? It's a protective layer. It's an icy layer protecting us from the disappointments of the world. So rightly understood, I would introduce myself to you, Craig, and I would say, well, hello, my name is Rainier Wild, and I'm a defense mechanism <laughs> because our personalities are so wired in such a way to run interference on those disappointments. We have been organized around the things we are afraid of. So that by the time we get into our 30s or 40s, and you just described men who are high performers, you know, all of them has gone to achieving or to dominating or to being in control or to looking good or all of these. And why? Because they're actually afraid of what lies beneath. It's propelling them to accomplish all of these wonderful things. And so they get into their 30s or 40s and they've never even thought about why do I do these things? And then what happens? A crack. A crack happens in the ice. Somebody, somebody passes away close to them. Or they get a phone call from their lover or their girlfriend or their wife that says we should talk. Or a child, uh, something happens. Or they lose a job. In other words, the icy veneer suddenly is shaken. And then they have to go inward. They have to look under. That's really when I begin to think about it. That's really when people start to come to coaches or counselors or any of those things. When they really experience those cracks in the ice. Yeah. And they begin to say, what's underneath this? What's real? Because, boy, I've just been living up here at the surface. Now, what I would say is I tend to experience a lot of people who they have that experience and they, they go, oh my God, there's something under this and I want to get, I want to understand it, but they don't really, they just want the ice patch back up. They want to get the job back, the girl back, the car back, the reputation back, whatever those things are, they want to get it back. And so that's really why people choose to enter most any kind of work. They go back to church, they they go to therapy, they, they, you know, do whatever they have to just to feel okay again. But now something's different. They feel that gnawing. Yeah. And this is what Carl Jung, I think it was Carl Jung. It might've been Joseph Campbell. I'm not sure. Said that, that oftentimes we climb the ladder of success only to get to the top and realize it's up against the wrong wall. Yeah. And so I love that. I love that. And that's, that's what I find most people come to me at that point when they've tried just about everything else and they realize there's something gnawing underneath that needs to be discovered. Now, what I do, and I would say what any healer does, real healer, is we don't patch back up the ice at all. We split it all the more. 
My job is to dissolve the ice, not to eliminate. I don't want your personality to be eliminated here. I like your personality, but I want it to melt back into your essence, to the face you had before you were born, to your potential, to your limitless possibility. Love that. That's fantastic. And it is, I like the, the piece that you say about is it's like you where the ordeal, right? Where we have the ordeal, but it's just kind of like it, it cracks or lifts the lid off a little bit and something comes out and then it's it's holy shit, what's this? And what can I distract with? What can I throw myself into to kind of in a way is like avoid this and like you say, patch it back over. But it's actually it's that if you can sit in that and kind of is is go further in and it's kind of something i would say it's like it's it's one of the things of like i think even from from myself and experience of of being in the military and going off to Mm. to wars and being in intense dangerous environments is like that work has been the most courageous thing i've ever done is to to go into that see that crack and want to actually go in there and sit in there more And, and i think that's a really important piece because it's it's not generally one that I see is given. It's kind of like you know you got you got to focus on something, focus on work, or focus on this rather than actually is focus on actually feeling and, and feeling more and going more into that. That's right. Yeah, and you know I I think you you bring up such an interesting point here, and that is uh, said you know military, which makes me inevitably think of the archetype of the warrior. And here, I think it might be interesting to talk about masculine development or men's development in particular. We've just been talking about how the human personality is wired, but let's talk about men's development. You know, traditional cultures. um, So now we're talking about cultures that look very similar to as as humans would have looked prior to, say, 8000 years ago. Um, which means the bulk of human history. We looked a certain way. We lived in these banned tribal societies and they formed men. They grew men in very specific ways. Now, I would argue from the vast preponderance of archaeological evidence that warrior was not, in fact, an archetype in many of these banned societies. Instead, being a warrior was just one part of what existed as the hunter archetype. You know, hunters were really a way of providing for the needs of the tribe. Sometimes that included warfare. Sometimes that did. But that was only one small facet, actually, of what the men in the tribe often provided. But what prepared a a boy uh, to become a hunter? What prepared him for that role? Well, as you said, an ordeal, an initiation. So when we think of male, adolescent male development, there always had to be an extraction from the soft, comforting role of the feminine. Yeah, he always had to be extracted from that. And that looked often physically like being ripped away. (laughs) Psychologically, that was an important aspect. He almost had to be snatched away by the men of the tribe. And he was plunged into something that replicated death. Why? Well, because to be honest, men do not have the thing that women have within their own bodies, which is an initiation or a confrontation with death. 
You know, when a young girl gets her period, when she moves into estrus, she is literally confronting her own mortality. This happens between the ages of nine to 12 for a, a young girl. It doesn't happen for a boy at all. And traditional cultures knew that a man was not safe until he had confronted his death and until he had um, had a meaningful confrontation with comfort. So what happened within that initiation was he had to be extracted from comfort and confront his own death. When that happened, the tribe believed he was safe to be a provider, to be a hunter, to be in relationship to the rest of the tribe. And if it didn't happen, if it didn't happen, he wasn't safe. In fact, in traditional cultures, uh, they mythologized a man who didn't have that kind of initiation. They mythologized them as monsters, werewolves, vampires, even zombies are all kind of depictions of uh, in traditional cultures of men who didn't have that initiation. You know, I think I look at culture today and I say, civilization is full of vampires and werewolves <laughs> and, and even worse zombies as men. Um, and I think that points to, we have not in fact had the initiation that hunter's initiation where we learn to be assertive, aggressive, active, all in service of the collective. That's so really, I enjoy that point a lot because it is, it's like a, a piece that, um, I really go into a minute and a piece that I love it's like kind of the more kind of our, our ancestral roles and kind of like the more tribal roles and it, it's like where it's we we need the initiation as men and like today is just like what do we have for initiation from boys to men and then we end up with just a lot of boys in adults bodies unaware that it's like you've missed this crucial important step and it's like now I'm saying your thirties and forties, you're really starting to see the, the 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 cracks and like and how that plays out in your life and your relationships and your mental health, uh, and your emotional health because you've missed this crucial step that is like you don't even know that you need it. And it, and it's yeah. do you see any any ways of like where or what would you see as like the modern way of initiation for men? We seem to be. You know, I think uh, the real gift of middle adulthood for men is it affords them the opportunity to have a return. You know, I, I think Hollis called it uh, Saturn's return, where we actually return to the father wound and are able to have kind of a, a secondary initiation. It didn't happen in adolescence. Now, the problem with, and we call this the midlife crisis, by the way, but the, the problem with that is we should have had it when we were 14, when we didn't have families and, and you know, hadn't amassed material possessions and didn't have a business of people depending on us. But instead, now we're in our 40s. And we undergo these wonderful initiations where we confront our own mortality, where we suddenly are extracted away from the soft comforts of the feminine. We have that happen, but now the stakes are bigger. People are depending on us. And that's when blow up and burnout happens. But I'm at least grateful that it happens because it means a return to the heart for so many. So I actually think the midlife crisis is often a time for men, if we can call it the crisis, of where our eyes are riveted to those cracks 
And it's the opportunity, if we don't just patch back over the ice, to go deeper, to begin to think to ourselves, is there more going on than meets the eye? Am I more than just my ability to meet my own physical needs? You know, I, I'm writing a, a book right now about this with a, a dear friend and co-author, Dallas Hartwig. Um, and one of the things that, that we talk about is this transition from that hunter stage to a secondary stage that sometimes we call um, the philosopher or the alchemist or even the magician. The, the definition here is that we move from being able to solve most of our problems with our own body um, to now actually having to go inward. We go inward. We begin to question our thoughts. We begin to say, how did I arrive at this? How did this happen to me? Where did this thought come from? Right. And what, what is that state? Well, for a lot of guys, that's like crazy. Suddenly we're like, oh my God, what is this thing called feelings? Right. Like, uh, why am I crying at this toilet paper commercial? This is so weird. What's happening. And we're going inward, you know, um, one of the mythological visions of this happens actually with the, the King Arthur tales, which is the magician Merlin who of course, historically within this mythology was a warrior in his early age. He was a great warrior and a war leader. We don't think of Merlin that way. We think of him as always a wizard, but he wasn't. He was a tremendous war chief in the early mythologies. What happened? Well, sometime around his late twenties, early thirties, up through his mid forties, he actually stopped being a warrior and he went inward. He went inward and had to confront his own psyche, his own soul. And what came out of that was this, was this magician, this great wizard, which of course I think is an invitation to become identified more with our thoughts and our feelings than we were before. So that's potential. So when we talk about these initiations for men, I think a lot of it does happen in middle adulthood. And what it almost inevitably looks like is going inward and questioning our thoughts and our feelings. Now, I do want to say something. You asked, you know, a lot of men miss this kind of hunter initiation uh, where they confront their immortality. Uh, if they missed that, which I think so many of us did, you actually have to go back to the place that you missed and develop those skills, which looks like doing hard shit. You actually have to go back to what that young boy would have been initiated into, which is literally being extracted from the soft feminine. So this is like going on a no woman diet. This is like, where I choose for four to six months not to put myself in contact with the, the soft feminine, where I choose not to date for a while, where I choose to go to the gym every day at the same time, where I choose not to have too many inputs, always downloading and consuming, which is a very feminine kind of energy. But instead I choose to stick to a more masculine energy where I become a creative producer in the world, where I limit my alcohol, where I, where I don't in fact, uh, do certain things that I would normally. Instead, I choose a regimen in life that matches my own desire to meet the world on its terms. Yeah, so we develop a way of being where we are able to look at the world and say, I'm not the nice guy anymore. The world is hard, and so am I. Yeah. That's, um, and that's the, the separation, right, which is a really important part of that, isn't it? I think where a lot of guys get stuck, it's the... It's the it's going back to that point that you said it's just like and doing hard shit, but also the part where it's like you need the separation from the feminine or from women because yes. that's what would have happened 
and that's where it's like, like and I, I think is like a lot of what we do now as men is like we we've we've become accustomed because we've missed that to look for our masculinity and approval um from the feminine and from women rather than from other men initiated men that is like how it would have used to have been but then it's like we have to find groups of initiated men to kind of go into and connect with and 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 be in that environment as as men to go through those missed stages again and like you said have that separation from the feminine which is such um such an important piece but then you like you said it's like you also have the father wound in there for men which can breed a lot of distrust uh with other men and not trust mm -hmm. and feel safe with other men for men so it's kind of like a can be like a vicious cycle is is like is that something that, that you would you would see as well yeah absolutely you know i think when we when we consider the dealing with the father wound you know by the time we become fathers by the time we become um people who are putting forward something creative in the world even if we don't have children um if we haven't confronted those wounded places of our own heart, we're simply replicating the same cycles that we ourselves receive, right? Especially if we vowed as children, which many of us did, to never be like our father, right? You know, one of the surest ways of becoming like something or some, something that we abhorred is to, is to vow never to become like that. And talk about the vicious cycle. So we have to confront those places. Otherwise, we replicate them. Now, the other side of that is that sometimes in an attempt to avoid those places, you know, we also go to the other extreme. And culturally, we are living in one of those moments, by the way. We're living in a moment where, you know, I think you talk about the father wound, the patriarchy itself, the father wound is so felt so real that um, there's now a, a swinging of the pendulum completely to the other side. Yeah. And I think a lot of us are experiencing that. We really need balance. We really need a balance here. And so we have to learn that place of the middle. But for many men, what I think the actual place is, is not necessarily to discover their tender, soft self. I think almost all men that I know since 1980, and this isn't, of course, true, but I think so many men since 1980 have been raised just to be the nice guy uh, in Western cultures, raised to be the nice guy, raised to feel their feelings, raised to depend on their mothers or women. You know, there's kind of a very vampiric element to the nice guy. You know, he, he looks soft and delightful, just like a vampire. He, he is very kind and delicate and cultured and civil, but watch out because, you know, when the, when the night comes, he's going to sink his fangs into you and drain you of your life energy if you're a female. Uh, and I think a lot of women feel that actually from nice guys. A lot of women feel like the nice guy is simply a predator who's very dressed up. And I think, you know, one of the things that men have to really learn collectively is how to submit themselves to doing those hard things, to recovering those places of difficulty so that they're not just always draining the feminine, which I think is the risk here. Yeah, it's um, agreeing. And when you said that as well, it's like that made me 
as I as I remember leaving the military and as I got more into this from my own experience and then kind of went into kind of is is teaching this with men is realizing how grateful I was for my military experience where I almost come out of that as, as being around men all the all the time mm-hmm. in that coming out and almost feeling too hard and and too direct because it's like uh, because it, it was like oh maybe this isn't okay it's like coming to this new world of like oh maybe this is okay it seems like that's not appropriate that's right. not civilized and it's actually like no actually it's like that's probably there's a piece of that that's actually missing that that so many men don't have and it's yeah. like connecting those dots for me was like a was 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 huge because like you kind of come out and get sucked into this because it's so it, it's so powerful that it's like it's what you see around you you get sucked into this and it's like wait a minute i don't feel as good as i did when i was more this way and it's just like yeah maybe i'm actually going to be more that way and it's just like yeah but that means you kind of almost you might be seen as an outsider and that it's like well i'm okay with that because of the difference of how that actually feels as a man to be kind of it's have that um almost like grittiness kind of more uncivilized part um the kind of the rawness and the directness i would always always refer to that as kind of raw masculinity that i felt in in the kind of the military side that i was very grateful for and um and like you said seeing that it's like the nice guy that it's like they don't know what they're doing necessarily wrong but it's just like don't know where they're going wrong in a sense but I'm doing all the right things I'm saying all the right things I'm I'm being really nice I'm pleasing it's like I'm a yes person and it's actually like that's that's kind of the problem (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah and you know I want to shift here and just say I don't think it's just specific to men who have played these roles who need to recover that sense of assertiveness. Almost anyone who has really been kind of a doormat in some ways, um, no matter who they are, once they reclaim that assertive element, they feel like assholes. You know, if you've simply caved to everybody your whole life, the culture you've created is one where they expect you to cave. And if you stop caving, they think you're a jerk, actually, because they had become dependent on your way of being. So one of the first things I tell people, it's often women, by the way, who I, who I coach through this. But one of the first things I tell people is, hey, when you reclaim that sense of assertiveness or directness or, or standing up for your values or telling the truth or being apology free in life, when you find that you're actually going to lose people. And even more than that, you're going to feel like a schmuck. You're going to feel like a real jerk. (laughs) That's okay. That's not a reflection of how you're being. It's a reflection of how you've been. Yeah. You've been very wobbly and now you're developing a spine. That's, that's the piece I like is I had this uh, thing. I think it's more from a, from a, from a Dida, phrase it's like leading with heart and spine so mm, yeah yeah a lot of guys are kind of in a generic black and white they kind of tend to fall in in one category or the other the over masculinized kind of wounded um it's all spine and no heart or the guy that's super soft the nice guy 
who is all heart, but he but he hasn't got a spine. And it's like kind of actually he's like you can, but there's another guy, and he's actually the guy that's that's gone back and done his work, and he he's the guy who leads with with both his heart and his spine together in unison. And that, I think for me that's like a really nice practical kind of to the point way to kind of to 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 look at that and it and it's and it is the piece of the spine and it's like, like you said it used to be my my favorite compliment would be is you're an arsehole and i'll be like thank you <laughs> because it's like because it is but when you're in that place as well the thing that comes in that place isn't it it's like you're generally happy with who you are that, mm. and that's the key piece is like you're generally kind of accepting and and generally we're happy with the person that you are in your life and it's like you're not trying to please people and you're okay if people kind of don't want to be around that or if people get triggered that's not your responsibility and if people someone gets offended that's not on that's not on you if the place that you're coming from is in good intention um but there that's that's that thing there is like it's it's the spine piece it's the afraid to be seen as an arsehole basically right yeah and right there you kind of touched on a a core impulse, which is the desire to look good, to keep up appearances, to not be perceived a certain way. I think you have to lose that at some point in time. You know, that's a child's way of looking at the world. Um, and I think a mature masculine presence actually is okay with being, you know, uh, misperceived, is okay with knowing that, yeah, actually, you might not like me. I remember I had a, a science teacher. Uh, in eighth grade. And I remember the first day of science class with this guy and he came in and it was just like a drill sergeant. And he just laid down the law. He was very, very tough. And I remember I turned in a paper and uh, the very first of it, he just, he bled red ink on it. I mean, it was just, it was not good. And I thought he was such an asshole. He was not soft and warm like the seventh grade science teacher, you know, Mrs. O'Malley had been. She was way nicer than Mr. Bertrand. And, oh, man, I just, I couldn't stand him. I wanted my old teacher back. You know, by the end of the year, he was my favorite teacher. I remember actually thinking in eighth grade, I told my mom this, such an interesting insight for an eighth grader. I think kids are so smart sometimes, but my eighth grade self told my mom, I said, you know, I like Mr. Bertrand because I know where I stand with him. Isn't that interesting? So I think that one of the great gifts of directness and assertiveness and having a spine is actually, you know, where you stand with people. Um, and I think we live in a world today, which is so unboundaried and so un, um, it, it, it's so ambivalent. You don't know where you stand with anyone anymore. It's like, I've got, you know, 5,000 friends on Facebook. They say they're friends, but at any moment they could be gossiping about me or maligning me or, right. It's like, actually the world's pretty damn confusing. Think about, uh, how does that work? And so I think one of the things that we can give each other is assertiveness, activeness, and all of that is actually drawn from that first stage of masculine development which if we haven't gotten it, we have to go back and address those skills. Then we get to move on to those things like, well, what does tenderness look like? What does deep thought look like? What does confronting some of my shadowy thoughts look like? Um, first of all, we have to develop that core instinct to go through hard things though. And 
with saying that as well, I mean, and, and just to touch on that as well, it made me laugh because it's, I remember, I remember joining, it's like you truly remember is there, joining the military and like I, my father left when I was 10 years old, right? It's like that abandonment wound and kind of that needing that masculine figure is like kind of going off the rails a bit. But when I joined the military, it's like the people that I remember and I respected the most, like generally the men as a 16 year old were the ones that were probably the, not the hardest on me, but the most direct and kind of kept me in line. And like, I, I just, I just respected them so much more. So it's like, for me, there's a piece of the directness and the assertiveness and the kind of no fucking around with kind of like is, is kind of is, 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 is being direct. Is just like, I always find I respect those people the most automatically, yeah. regardless if I actually like them or not as well. Right. And, and that's like, that's the key bit. It's just like, you don't have to generally necessarily like somebody to actually respect them uh, as a person. And I thought, I thought that was a really important piece there. And it's exactly like you said with your teacher, right? It's just like, oh, he's a fucking asshole. But then like, actually, it's just like, the more you get into that, it's just like, because there's something in you that knows that you need that as a, as a, as a human man. And it's just like, oh, actually, he's my favorite teacher. So I really respect him for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we really have to learn that. You know, again, I don't think that's a skill that culture teaches us today. The, the, one of the dominant forms of discourse right now is cultural capital and being liked. Yeah, appearing good, keeping up appearances. And I think that that plays on old ancestral uh, functions, you know, belonging to a tribe uh, is very, very important, but it exploits it. So now I care, you know, just as much about some stranger in Japan and what they think of me and what they might write on my social media wall as I do what, you know, my, my next door neighbor or my spouse thinks of me, you know, which is really ridiculous, right? We're giving such power to just so many, many people and their place in our life when they're not in our life. And so one of the things I, I talk about to people is learn who your front line is, learn who your people, your actual tribe, you know, like your five to 10 are develop a five to 10, you know, can you count them on your fingers and uh, have their faces in mind, care what they think really do. They're going to be the people who reflect back to you most accurately, the person you are. If you feel shame in those relationships, consider changing your behavior. If you feel shame, if you feel guilt, if you feel like maybe you've done something, consider making it up, make a difference, make a change. But if somebody on the other side of the world who isn't in that front line says something or thinks something about you, ah, well, right? Let people think what they want. That's not your business. You know, your front line and who you are in relationship to them, that's character. Reputation is what the rest of the world thinks. And it matters very little, actually, in the end. I always call that, it's like uh, you say the, that in a circle, like it's I always call that the core four. Who's the core four people that you care most about their their opinions of you? And you, and you should, right? As is like, you should. Right. It's in a sense of like that, that the, the, the not given a fuck. There's like, there's, there's truth in that, 100% yeah. what that actually means. But then there's also as well, but then it's like, a lot of that is because it's like, because you're very clear on what you do give a fuck about and who you do give a fuck about. And it's like, 
they're the peoples whose feedback and um, and and truth and directness uh, about you that you should appreciate because it's like we all have blind spots, right? And if we are doing something or behaving in a way and people don't say that to you, but you have someone who calls you calls you up and tells you that you are actually being an asshole, it's just right. like you're going to take note and be like, oh, okay, it's like, I, appre- I appreciate you for that. That's why you're in my core four because you yes. will be, you won't hold punches and try and protect my feelings or try not to offend me is you will just tell me straight. And it's just like, that's, there's something so refreshing about that. And it's like where you can, it's like where you, it's almost like you can, where you can completely be yourself around those people. And that gives them permission too. And it's like, that's, I suppose we're kind of in the theme. It's like, that's really a big piece of intimacy and connection as well. Right. Absolutely. You know, we want, we really want people to see all of us. We really do. Like we're actually built to be kind of lazy like that. What I mean is it takes tremendous work to keep up pretenses, right? Humans are an efficiency driven animal. We like to do things. We like to do the least amount of things to get the most amount of results. But the way most of us live is doing this incredible heavy lifting of keeping up pretenses, right? God, it's exhausting to remember all the different stories we tell. Right. And to minimize different thoughts and um, different ways of being all this stuff. It's exhausting. It's so much better just to be lazy and to be a congruent self, you know? And so I go through life sharing my thoughts, sharing my feelings, sharing my experiences as close to the minute as I have them with those who I'm invested in and involved with so that I don't have to actually do all this hard work of lying. Yeah, it, it takes, it does, doesn't it? It takes way more energy. It's where guys say, you know what? I don't have energy or I don't feel that kind of aliveness anymore. It's because it's like you're using all of your energy to kind of yeah. keep all those parts in or keep those parts of your shadow in or keep the things that you don't want people to see in. And just you're trying so hard to, to, to put something onto the world. And it's, and it's the, almost the paradox. This, this is a piece that I love um with feedback with with men it's the it's the it's the craig is like i don't understand like people are asking me what i'm doing i'm like i'm kind of almost like more magnetic to people my partner is opening up more and like we're way more connected but i i don't feel like i'm doing anything i don't feel like i'm trying and i'm like excellent that's the fucking point and they're like this is weird i'm like yeah but it's fantastic because it's that that piece of not trying, it, it seems paradoxical, but it's actually, it's like, it's, it's like the place of like, where you can just fucking relax and breathe. And yeah. you, you don't have to try or put something on. That's it. And that, that's the place you want to be. And as I think, you know, you just reflected, that's the place where you get results too. Right. Where you're not using all of this energy to suppress and repress these parts of yourself. Suddenly now you have energy to step into that essential place, that place of pure possibility. Yeah. That's where you want to live. And I always find as well with like, with this uh, piece of, I think uh, the piece to, uh, to finish off with was there is when people talk about potential and it's like, it's like we look at this as a very outward 
way of just like, it's like, you know, reach your potential. It's like, go, go, go and achieve. And it's like, I always look at that more as like, it's the more of that like energetic potential when you can let go of like all that energy that's holding on to kind of keeping the, almost like the best parts of you away is like when you actually release that potential, that is actually the true meaning of what it means to reach your potential or, or is what your potential actually is. Um, and I, I always find that's for me has been the piece of like what, what your potential actually means. And it's that, it's that part that's inside you that it's probably the parts that you actually hide the most. It's like the, um, the, the, the on the, the dark side of you. So like the ones that dark side of you, that dark masculine part. Um, and I always remember a, a Robert Greene um, piece he said about Kobe Bryant, who was like, Kobe Bryant was only the, the person he was and the player he was because he embraced fully that dark masculine and that dark side and he used it and cultivated it into, mm. into being the person that he was. And it's like, and that's for me is like a massive part of potential is it's that dark, that dark side and that dark masculine and being able to cultivate that and, and have a direction to focus that really fucking strong energy into, into the world. And hopefully that being of service. Yeah. And you know, I, I think the things we consider dark mm. kind of humorous, there's a, a old joke says you know at the end of all time we get everyone together in hell and look at all the sins and we're gonna laugh at how little imagination we all had you know it's like they're all the same it's like they're not really that dark I, I you know I, I remember as a kid um, I would get taken around to church services and all these things I remember hearing this Christian minister and he said if it were not for God's grace if it were not for for being saved uh, by the Lord, I would be a murderer on death row. And I remember thinking, really? I mean, really? That, that was what was at stake there? Like, maybe. But I think most of us have this idea that our dark side is, is a serial killer, you know? And it's like, well, probably not, actually. You know, like, probably most of us are pretty normal. And, are, and if we could just talk about things, we'd realize how silly normal we are. You know, I find that in the basement of shadows, a lot of things lie like humor, like kindness, like um, doing something more than the missionary position in bed. You know, like I, I tend to think a lot of what lies in our basement of shadows that we're so extraordinarily embarrassed by are, are actually a lot more average and mundane and common than we think. And I've had the pleasure of hearing a lot of those places and i'm always amused by how ashamed we feel about them yeah. and and then we come to those places like what i just said like kindness you know i i talk to a lot of guys who have hid kindness i one gentleman who i was just talking with he said you know i i i grew up and kindness was weakness my dad taught me that to be kind was weak kindness went in his basement of shadows he had to hide his kindness. He had to suppress that. I mean, imagine going through life and every time that you ran into a situation where you could treat someone with decency and respect, you had to hide that. You had to push that down because that's what was reinforced. That's what he had to do to belong. One day he figured out he didn't have to do that. 
He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to keep that kind-hearted inner child down. He could actually let that out. It was one of the most joyous things for him. Suddenly he had energy. Suddenly he was able to love people again. Now that's what, talk about the dark side of the masculine. Oh my God, kindness was his darkness. How funny is that? Once we begin to, to allow ourselves to just open up that, that uh, place inside of us and just see what we've had to suppress in order to be in relationship to others, it's amazing what comes out. And then we get choices, right? We get, a, we get to choose, you know, once we go down to the basement, we turn the lights on, we get to choose if we want to bring that stuff into our main living room or sell it off at a garage sale. Like we don't have to bring everything up and put it into our life. We can get rid of some of it if it doesn't belong. The point is that it gets out of the basement. We turn the light on. Now we can be in relationship to it. That's a great point that you said there as well. Is like, is it's like if you you sometimes see like the dark side or even like shadow work as this big scary thing, and it's just like it's it, but it's that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's sometimes it really feels like that when it's in yes. the body. So much shame and guilt are wrapped around these, and it's like is like I said from from childhood and even all throughout through life. But it's just like we tend to think they're the the bad things about us. And it's just like, but when you said that about like, is this guy had kindness in his box of shadows? It's like, that's at least it's laughable, isn't it? It's like, we laugh at that because it's like, but I'm sure that wasn't funny for him for a lot of his life. It's just like, it's, it's painful, but it's just, so when you think that somebody puts kindness in their box of shadows, because it's told as like, kindness is weakness. And for, especially yeah. for men, it's just like where we have these mixed messages about men. You've got to be a, you've got to be a tough, strong stoic man and it's like I'm, I'm i'm cool i love that part of being a man but there's also there's many parts to being a man and it's like it's like you can't show these parts because they're weakness but they're your most loving caring heartfelt fucking kindness <laughs> and it's, 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 it's and that's a lot of the things is like remember the, the things that we feel ashamed with or see that in guys and then when they release that and, and and bring that out to the world and they're like it's if you see that of like where it's just like oh my god it's just like that's been holding me back from all these different areas of my fucking life for years and it's just like it seems ridiculous now it's like yeah because we are pretty ridiculous and it, that's right to be able to laugh at it is actually for, for me is like i think one of the most healing points of like when you can laugh at something about yourself that you've how shame against we have kept in the shadows is like is it's a beautiful place to be i think that laughter is uh one of those things that we don't really associate with masculinity but almost all of traditional cultures associate the masculine with the quality of joy mm. you know and i think that uh most of the gods in mythology are pictured as having moments of uproarious laughter, right? Odin himself is seen as a trickster and Zeus, right? Not only that, but some of the most, you know, masculine archetypes, Thor, he's throwing down thunder and he's laughing, right? I mean, it's really an interesting thing when you look at these masculine archetypes, these deities that exist as concepts of what a, a masculine might look like. There's such an irreverence to them. There's a hilarity. There's a delight. What if one of the critical components of being a man in the world was he could laugh? He could laugh at himself. He could enjoy himself. 
you know, traditional tribes actually depict this. If someone thinks too highly of themselves, one of the things they do is in their band of, of brothers, they actually just joke at them. They needle them to death. They just poke fun at them. They tease. One of the really great um, virtues of a circle of men is they tease each other. It's one of the, the attributes I look for in a healthy group of men together. Do they laugh at one another? And I mean that, laugh at one another. I mean, like, and can you take a joke, right? A man who can't take a joke is arrested in his development. He's still a child trying to pretend to be an adult. Um, and so, you know, I think that's one of the great gifts we can give is to discover our, our humor again, discover our laugh, our irreverence. It is, and it is. It's just as you're saying that because a lot of that is like childlike, um, almost our childlikeness, isn't it? This is the joy, the laughter, the playfulness, the imagination, and it's like because you hear the term of like it's like uh, uh, I hear a lot anyway. And if you do, it's like uh, kill the boy. You must yes. kill the boy so the man can live. And it's like I get what that kind of means, but to someone who doesn't know what that means, it's just almost like it's it's you. It's like you. You, you don't kill like say that essence or the joyfulness or the playfulness or the laughter is like, I think that's what a lot of guys do. Right. Yeah. And, and again, that is a boy pretending to be an adult. It is not a man. You know, one of the things I, I like to think of a lot is developmental sequences. So if you can think about as an infant, well, I crawled. And then I learned how to walk. I don't spend a lot of time crawling around to get places. I walk places. But you know what's funny? I can still crawl. That's how development works. Development works by you transcend a stage of development, but you include it. It's nested now. The only reason why I couldn't crawl uh, might be if I didn't sufficiently learn it. And that would be very problematic, actually. It would mean certain things had failed to function. So when we think about, you know, moving into maturity, I have those qualities of boyhood intact in me. I can, in fact, display boyishness. I can laugh, I can run, I can tease, I can joke because I actually grew up. Men who didn't grow up, grow up can't be that. They're just pretending. So true. That's so true. Yeah. It's, and yeah, it's like I hugely appreciate your time uh, on to the podcast is there's so much in there it's like i feel very kind of excited from from guys being able to listen to this and take some really key points away that i think you've kind of gone into and it's been a pleasure to have a conversation with you and to listen to your wisdom and not being able to be shared um is 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 there anything that you you'd like to to finish off with before we shoot off uh, you can plug your book again as well yes <laughs> yeah check it out amazon i think you can get in the books section as you are meditations on self and other i'm really proud of this it's such a a beautiful book i worked with a phenomenal designer ryan lee sharp to design um just this lovely and highly digestible um track on wisdom and being in relationship to others. Um, I'm also going into this next new year, working with individuals, a really phenomenal uh, opportunity called the training where I'm taking a select number of people 
um, deeper into their sense of identity and purpose. I'm so excited about that. Launching a podcast with my, with my wife uh, in February of this next year, focusing on love called Love Like Hell, um, all about the hidden places of the heart, the highs and lows of relating. Can't wait for that. Check that out too. Just find me on Instagram. That's where I hang out quite a bit. Yeah, I was going to say it's like for people to follow when you're on uh, Instagram because it's like the 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 things you share now. Like uh, I find is like one of my favorite accounts on Instagram. It's like it's fantastic uh, the stuff that you share. So I appreciate that. So go give him a follow. And thank you much. Again, thank you very much for coming on. It's wonderful. Thanks, Greg. Take care. <laughs>